Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Today on the podcast, we hear from Chris Holden from the New York Hop Guild. Chris and I talk about the state of the hop industry, recent trends, all things hop contracts, forecasting tips for breweries so you can match up your production, make sure you get the right amount of raw materials. We also talk about a new product called Hop Sauce. This is very interesting. It's a new product that can help you improve your efficiency during the brewing process, cut down on your shipping costs, and help alleviate some of those storage space concerns in your facility. So you're going to want to listen to this and learn about Hop Sauce and all the great tips that Chris has to offer. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with Chris Holden, Director of Sales and Marketing for the New York Hop Guild. Just a quick note, we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to let you know about a new network for beer industry professionals. It's called the Beer Business Finance Association. It's an organization of financial pros just like you looking to improve financial results, increase profitability, connect with your peers, and share best practices. So I'd love to tell you a little bit more about this. If you are interested in learning more, please email me, Carrie at beerbusinessfinance.com. That's K-A-R-Y at beerbusinessfinance.com. Or you can visit bbfassociation.org. That's bbfassociation.org to learn more. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Carrie, how's it going? It is going great. Great to have you here as well. So why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and your business? Yeah, so uh, I'm the Director of Sales and Marketing here at the um, the Hop Guild, um, the New York Hop Guild. Um, I'm also a grower, hop grower here in New York. Um, we've got a little little farm called Crooked Creek Hops. And uh, yeah, we've been in the industry for a little over 10 years now. Um, the Guild started in 18. We started as kind of a distributor merchant for... Uh, you know, New York State, New York State hops, and we kind of branched out from there and started bringing some uh, Michigan-grown hops and some uh, Pacific Northwest-grown, uh, as well as New Zealand and Germany. And our kind of our philosophy is to work farm direct with all these different growers in these different regions. Uh, we bring everything in-house, process it here, both in pellets and CO2 extract now. And um, yeah, and then we distribute it out, you know, to New, you know, New York brewers as well as brewers nationwide. That's fantastic. So we're obviously going to talk about all things hops today. We're going to talk about a little bit about contracts and you know how to forecast production so that you get the right amount of hops. And we're going to talk about hop sauce, which I, I was looking at some of your marketing materials and your it actually looks delicious, I have to say. Uh, so we'll get into all that. But you know, before we do that, why don't you give us maybe your take on the state of the hop industry? Like what, what's going on out there? I know in, in years past, we've had shortages and then overages and price spikes and declines. And so what are we, what are we seeing out there today? Yeah. So I think um, it, it, it's uh, it's an interesting time for sure. Uh, there is surplus of certain things, but there's also 
right now there are some shortages of certain varieties as well. I think there's a big, you know, there's, there's a big um, overhaul in what's going on. You know, there's a, a fix in the amount of acreage being grown of certain varieties, you know, some of the bigger um, well-known varieties and then maybe uh, that are being reduced and maybe some public hops that are coming out are coming up through um, to, to, to get more acreage put in. Um, in New York in general, you know, if we've talked about just New York, uh, we're we're in a little bit of a shortage overall. Um, as the the industry here has kind of matured, and we need more New York State grown hops. But uh, overall, in the entire industry, entire world, it seems like there's a surplus a little bit, and I think that there's been some massive acreage reductions this last year um, to, to to basically fix that. And I think that hopefully it's being done in a way that it's not going to create a shortage, but it kind of fixed the oversupply that's going on right now. Um, personally, I'm all about sustainability and I want, I don't want to see the price spike. I don't want it to go too low. It needs to be kind of, uh, you know, representative of what both the growers and the brewers need all the way through. Um, so hopefully it gets fixed, you know, nice and easily. And uh, over the next, you know, 18 to 24 months, it looks like, and uh, everybody will be happy here as we get out of this little glut that's we're kind of been coming into. So what are you seeing for trends in the hop business? Is there anything new on the horizon or anything in particular folks should be aware of? Yeah, so we see there's, there's quite a few new varieties, you know, coming up and up and getting some popularity getting talked about uh, hops outside of the traditional breeding programs and everything, um, some stuff out west, some stuff out of Montana, some stuff in Germany, uh, New Zealand as well. So, you know, a lot of those are on more like the IPA side. Pretty cool. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's definitely the consumers kind of ask for, stuff that's maybe fruitier or sweeter and flavor and everything, a little less, you know, we'll say hoppy or green, um, which maybe some of us have been in the industry for a long time. That's what we want. But, uh, you know, the consumer, I feel like they want something sugary and, and sweet and everything, which is there's starting to be some hops that have come out that are definitely in that that realm. You know, the the other cool part is, uh, you know, lagers have been starting to kind of creep in and I wouldn't say take over, but they definitely kind of um, impacted the craft market and the need for sustainable noble varieties that you know have good alpha acid that have good flavor and just kind of balance to help balance out those you know, nice high-end lagers or even the premium lagers and and everything else that's kind of coming out it's uh that's been kind of a um it's been hit or miss but i think there's some hops that are uh, starting to settle in and will hopefully help uh, help out with like the the old school sots and alatel meadow fruits and tetanangers where the last couple of years it seems like those some of those hops have you know, struggled um, in the growing regions. Um, you know, another another big thing that I think is awesome is some of the public hops, you know, the public varieties, the old school stuff like Cascade and Chinooks, like with some of the new technology and advancements and understanding of how some of this stuff works and new brewing equipment even, some of these old hops, they kind of have a new limelight. And then, you know, you could talk about regional towars and everything, you know, Michigan, New York, um, Idaho, Montana, all these different places, it seems like, you know, there's some, there's some different flavors from those specific hops. And I think it's playing a huge part in what some brewers are using. Mm, interesting. Thanks. Thanks for that background. So we can't talk hops unless we talk contracts, right? It's a, it's a big, big part of uh, 
you know, how this works for brewery businesses. So for folks who may not be super familiar with it, would you mind giving us maybe a kind of a contracts 101 and like what terms are typically included and what are folks going to find in, in a contract? Yeah. So most of them are, you know, either like a one, a three or a five-year contract. Um, there are some stuff that, you know, I've heard that's even longer than that. Um, and it depends, you know, what the brewery is obviously willing to do. Um, three to five-year contracts seem to be pretty, pretty good. Um, five-year might be a little long, but three years seems to be pretty good. So that way, you know, it helps out the grower. It's not too long for a brewer to be able to make some adjustments. Um, and overall, it's a, it's a good sustainable way, I think, of purchasing. Um, and then, um, but the big thing that is uh, um, on that end that we see is also you've got to think about what you need compared to what maybe you want. You know, you always contract the stuff that you really definitely need and uh, try to do your best, you know, at uh, forecasting what's needed out there. Um, maybe the stuff that you would want, you'd always want to try to find in the spot market and go from there. A lot of the terms, though, can be they can be widespread. You know, uh, typical terms are usually a, a free storage period um, that can be anywhere from a couple months. It could be all the way up to twelve months. Um, it could be over the fiscal year or you know whatever. However, each company wants to set that up and how they need to have it set up. And then after the free storage period, there's usually a paid paid storage period, um, which we see a lot right now. There's a lot of extra extra stuff on contracts, so. I think that that's also led to um, a lot of customization in contracts and different people, um, you know, both merchants and brewers having to get kind of um, crafty in, in what they need to do to make it work for both sides, right? Because you want to look at it from a partnership standpoint. And if you're just jamming something down someone's throat and they have no use for it or they can't, they just can't do nothing with it at that point in time, it doesn't help anybody out. So at the end of the day, it's always, you know, you got to come up with, Sometimes you got to come up with some unique and interesting ways of um, making those contracts work. Mm, exactly. We were talking offline the other day and you were mentioning the one of the things that maybe differentiates you and your business from others perhaps is that you really do try to develop that that partnership and really putting an emphasis on customer service. Maybe speak to that a little bit in terms of what that means to you and how that's actually how you how you do that when you're when you're working with a customer. Yeah, I mean, like everyone we work with, they have different they have different needs, right? Maybe maybe they have a massive storage facility and they can take things in and it's all good, right? Or maybe they have very little walk-in cooler space, you know, and, and they've got a, you know, they're only keeping maybe a couple cases on hand at a time. Maybe they're a big production facility, but that production facility, they have to what they have for storage or cold storage has to be filled with beer all the time, you know, and they don't necessarily know when, you know, their orders are going to come in and out. So maybe they have to be kind of slim or whatever, but basically everybody's needs are different at the end of the day. And if you, I feel like if you have the mentality that this is how we have to have it done, you know, it, it makes it hard. Now, obviously you can't just do what everybody wants. You know, you have hundreds of contracts. It, that would be a little complicated, but um, I feel like being able to uh, stick to some guidelines and then customize things for people is, is something that really, like I said, it needs to happen. Maybe, maybe all of a sudden, you know, they need to contract, you know, someone needs to contract something, but they don't need the hops until 
usually your your paid storage period would start and it's like well okay let's let's fix that you know you have all these hops contracted for a late summer beer you're not going to use them until you know august or september the next year well instead of starting to pay storage in august or september we'll push that back or whatever and maybe do the contract from fiscal year to fiscal year instead of september to september or whatever um or you know if it's a long-term contract it's like giving some leniency um, year over year and and having a baseline and going from there, you know, that way, if uh, something does come up. And then I think the biggest thing is just it's communication. You know, it's like, hey, if if you're getting ready to launch a brand because someone was really excited about a one off you did and, and you've got to make sure that the hops that you need for that are there because they were hard to find. And then all of a sudden that brand tanks. Well, it's like, OK, well, let's, you know one year in let's talk about it and and try to figure out well what can we do on both ends can we try to repurpose those hops elsewhere or or sell them elsewhere and get you something that's going to work or whatever and um just working together i think is the biggest thing on that end and i hear i hear with some people that works well and other people's you know and it, it's not how it's working out for them and it's it sucks to hear that it just uh but i think um listening to what the you know your partners i guess are are uh needing is is the first is the first thing and the the best thing to go about doing yeah that's that, that makes a lot of sense you had mentioned you know when you're thinking about the contracts so, you know it's a lot of like what you need versus what you want and kind of making that distinction and you know the need really comes down to what you think you're going to produce and package right what what your forecast is so you know it's obviously forecasting is, a, is an important thing and to try to get it right, you know, so that you get the right quantities and you end up with a contract that makes sense. Um, I guess in your experience, um, have you worked with anyone in particular that does forecasting particularly well, or do you have any examples to share of how, you know, forecasting um, maybe has worked well with, with customers in the past? Yeah, we've got, we've got some, um, like start with the, more on the the grower end, where um, a good example on that and forecasting stuff is uh, Virgil Gamash Farms in in, in Toppenish, Washington, and they own they own Amarillo, and they've gone through some waves with it, and obviously they've gotten to the point where it's like they've I think they're ahead of the curve on certain things. Where um, you know a couple of years ago they were they were kind of stockpiling stuff, and it wasn't you know what they wanted to be doing, obviously, and they got ahead of this what's going on right now, and they kind of tightened stuff up. Um, they've also made it where um, maybe if there were specific flavor buckets of, you know, say Amarillo that were hard to find and people couldn't get to, they've now got their their own lab called Hoptechnic in their Hoptechnics uh, technology that, you know, they can spread their, their harvest window for Amarillo over, you know, 30 plus days almost, which is pretty neat because then, you know, it gives you more quality Amarillo to get out there. So, the grower and I feel like they've done a really, really good job. And then also again, customizing things from our standpoint, what we've done with them, working with them. Um, on the brewer end, we we have um we have some different um brewers in the Hudson Valley that are are really good about communicating and understanding what needs to, you know, what they're doing, what they're going through. We've seen a lot more brewers contracting similar quantities maybe but the number of varieties that they're contracting is lowered which i think you know personally personally i, I like that um because 
at that point in time, if they need something, you know, they can usually get it on spot, I feel like right now. Um, and then they're not tied to something if two weeks later or two months later, they want to swap it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's brewers all over the country. I feel like they do a good job at that. And then there's some brewers that still need, you know, some education and, and, and to learn more about it, maybe just some more experience is really what it comes down to. But yeah, we have, we have a couple of guys, um, that have done a fairly good job at figuring stuff out like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be tough. I mean, you're trying to predict the future, but at the same time, um, you know, brewers are small manufacturers and as such, you have to do your material resource planning, your demand forecasting and do the best you can to figure out, all right, what are we going to sell in the coming months and year and beyond? And then what do those quantities look like? And then how does that translate into the, you know, the raw ingredients, the hops that we need to buy? And so yeah, it's, exactly. it's all, it's all connected and it is, there, there's a, there's a healthy dose of of best guess that's involved, but uh, yeah, the process is important. Make sure. Yeah. I think one thing that I've seen and I've, I've gotten a little bit more open about relaying this message because some brewers have been like, well, how do you, how do you, how do you forecast for that? And I'm like, if you don't start guessing now, you're never going to get the hang of it. Right. And that's really what it is. It is. It's a, it's a, you know, obviously you want an educated guess, so you got to do your research, but if you don't take that shot and guessing at it, you'll never, you'll never learn how to do it over time. And it could take, it could take someone one or two years, but it could take someone, you know, more than that. So it, it all depends. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, contracts are, are a smart way to go. I know that contracts have a little bit of a bad name right now, um, but it's also, <clears throat> I think that, you know, both sides of the fence have uh, um, overutilized contracts in a, a negative manner. And, and I think that uh, getting back to the realistic part of it and being like, what, what are contracts for? You know, contracts are for sustainability from the ground all the way to the glass. And if you don't have that, it makes it difficult. And, you know, from a grower standpoint, yeah, I'd love to see super high prices because it benefits me, right? But at the same time, I don't want to have to go to the, you know, my local breweries and pay um, twice as much for a pint of, pint of beer. You know, I don't want to have to do that. So at the end of the day, it really doesn't benefit me to sit here and be like, oh, I, I want higher prices and vice versa, where it's like, I might be able to get a cheap glass of beer, but if I'm not making enough money, you know, farming and growing the hops, what does it matter? You know, so it's got to be, it's got to be a sustainable um, way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good points. And just to underscore something you said, if you, you know, if you don't start guessing now relative to forecasting, you know, you're never going to get better at it. And that that's a good way to put it because I work with a lot of folks who are like, oh, what's the point of the budget? What's the point of the forecast? Because it's like, it's going to be wrong anyway. It's like, well, we know it's going to be wrong, but here's the thing. The more you do it, the less wrong it gets. And then before you know it, yes. hey, you're, oh, now you're actually, you got it right and you got it right again. And yeah, you're off on that one. But it it's helps you sort of, it's a muscle you build, you know, it's just like yep. anything, the more you do it, the, the better you get. And you got to have a little faith. Um, but yeah, there's due diligence and there's a little bit of work involved, but the payoff's really big. It's like you get an opportunity to really kind of see what's coming down the pike. And it's a really good way to kind of manage your business too, and, and, and understand expectations. And I mean, this stuff's all connected. Like what you're going to sell is ultimately going to, you know, be what you put in the bank at some point or whatever's left. So that's super helpful. So yeah, I think I, I think oh, the forecasting could also be 
I like, I like doing it from our end. It's like, cause you can utilize it to, to get your sales team amped up. You can, you can utilize it to get your, you know, your warehouse team amped up because it's like, Hey, look at what we're going to be doing guys. Like let's, you know, it does. It, it, and it may, again, maybe you're off and you know, you can razz each other at the end of the day because someone was off on something, but at the same time, it's like, eventually, like you said, you, you get, you get it right every now and then. And it, it does feel good. It does. It does. So let's shift a little and talk about hop sauce. Um, before I, before I dig in on specific questions, why don't you just kind of give your background on what hop sauce is and you know, where, where did this, where did this come from? Yep. So a few years, well, how many, how many years has it been now? It's been, yeah, four years ago, right about four years ago. Um, we started tinkering with the idea of let's do some CO2 extracts. Uh, hemp became a huge thing in New York and uh, some of our hop growers grew some hemp and then they knew some processors, obviously. We sent some hops over to get processed and couple couple of the batches were like really gross and it's like well what would we do with that you know we didn't really understand it and then all of a sudden you get a you get a couple batches and it's like oh that looks awesome you know and and so we started actually doing putting our heads heads uh um into this and thinking about what we could do and and what we would want to do if we came up with a product and you know obviously we mostly sell as a smaller company we mostly sell aroma hops so it's like well we don't really need to get into the bittering extract um, we didn't really see a big market there for us just because it, I don't think it would have went anywhere. So, you know, first and foremost, it was like, well, let's do something on the aroma side. Um, and we were also at the time looking at doing concentrated lupulin pellets in a system on that end of the spectrum. But the CO2 extract seemed a little, a little less um, intricate, even though it's really not. But uh, we had some stuff readily available that we could we could go down the street and talk to someone and get a better understanding of how the CO2 extract works. So here we are four years later, we've got our own extract facility. Um, hop sauce came about um, through a kind of the test batches and being like, well, if, if the parameters are here and here, this is kind of what we're getting. Show that to the brewers. The brewers are like, that's awesome. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, um, one of the brewers is calling it hop sauce and as a slang name. And, and, uh, when we let them know that we were getting ready to name it, he's like, oh, you can't get rid of that name. You can't get rid of that name. I don't want, I'm, I'm calling it hop sauce. And I'm like, okay. So we actually were like, we talked to the attorney, Hey, can we get this trade or not trademark, but yeah, trademark. And, uh, he's like, yeah, but you gotta do this. And I was like, okay. So through a crazy amount of test batches, we have our own little proprietary process um, that we've come up with, and the um, the products made for the you know end of end of boil whirlpool. And as we got farther and deeper into this, a lot of guys started using it as like a dip hop addition as well, which is kind of my personally my favorite place to use it. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's 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 a flowable um, whirlpool extract is the best way to put it though. Wow, sounds very cool. And for 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 those who haven't seen it, I'll I'll put some links in the show notes and on the the post so you can kind of kind of check it out. So that's great background. Tell us like about how hop sauce changes the hop efficiency during the brewing process, and you know what does that mean in terms of like costs and revenue? Yeah. So the idea 
was once we started finalizing everything is that we would want this product to replace pellets, T90s, um, even, even cryo, I guess, at that point in time too, and whole cone hops. And um, because of the cost and not being able to use it earlier in the boil, because you might as well just use a bittering extract at that point in time for much lower, lower price, we, um, we looked at it as if we can replace those Whirlpool um, additions um, and figure up the efficiencies, it worked out well. So at the end of the day, we were looking at if you replace 12.1 pounds of pellets with one kilogram of hop sauce, you're getting an, up to another 18 gallons of wort going into the fermenter. So the efficiencies are huge there. You're getting more, more wort to be able to ferment into beer, which obviously can equate to more beer at the end of the day. So that's kind of the, that, that's the basics of the efficiencies there. It's really easy. We're just, you're, you're just subbing out your T90 pellets for the most part for, for the hop sauce. Got it. Okay. And then shipping costs. I mean, that's a real thing, especially with inflation everywhere these days. And how does this, you know, using hop sauce in that way or as a replacement, how does that impact shipping costs? Yeah. So a, a single pallet of hop pellets, pretty easy, 25 cases, 1100 pounds. You know, average price, um, you know, anywhere from, you know, $349, maybe even more, depending on how far traveling and everything. Um, and the hop, hop sauce equivalent, we can fit that in basically three cases, the same three, you know, the equivalent of three cases. Um, so the average shipping cost there is about 92 bucks. So you're saving 73.5% on shipping just, just by swapping out your pellets for hop sauce. So far, so good. We're saving money on, <laughs> we're, we're, we're increasing yield, yes, and we're, we're, in, yep. and we're reducing our shipping costs. How about, I mean, a big, a big deal for breweries, obviously, is, and for really any businesses, like storage space, especially in a manufacturing yep. environment. So how, does, how is storage space impacted by, by this? Yeah, and, and not everybody obviously has storage issues, but yeah, we see it all the time where it's like you walk in and the cooler is filled because they're waiting for a, you know, a distributor to come in and pick up all this beer. And it's like, there's no room for hops. You might have a little cubby hole over in the corner or whatever. Um, but yeah, so a pal you know, again, a pallet of hops at that point in time is about 46.6 cubic feet um, or 13.3 square feet of space is what it's taking up. Depending on how you have your, your warehouse, if you're, if you're measuring cubic feet or if you're just measuring square feet. Um, and the equivalent, again, being about three cases is about two cubic feet or 2.6 square feet of space. So you're getting 95% more room utilizing hop sauce instead of, uh, instead of the pellets. So it's, it's a big, it's a big savings there. Excellent. And then I guess on the end of the process, like cleanup process, water usage, how's, is, how's is all that impacted? Yeah. So water usage is obviously a huge thing, depending on where you're at. I think I've talked to different people here in New York. It's not as big of a deal, but you know, we've, we've got quite a few friends obviously out West now. And it's like, some of those some of those brewers have to be very conscientious of how much water they use. So, when you're talking about cleanup in general, the amount of trib pile that you know that you're going to have in the whirlpool, that could take you gallons and gallons and gallons of water to spray that all out. And obviously, no one wants to get in there and shovel it out. Um, but uh, with hop sauce, if everything's done right, usually it's just you spray down the you know the sides of the tank, your whirlpool or whatever. Um, and sometimes there's nothing there at all. 
um, if you uh, if you have a little bit of you know um, hot matter in there for the hot sauce to cling to, it's going to pull it into suspend suspension, and there shouldn't be anything clung to the sides. So there could be zero cleanup water on that end, at least in the whirlpool side, right? Um, and then anywhere else, you know, you've got less waste. I mean, that was a that was a huge thing for us to sit here and say that uh, you know you ain't got cardboard boxes everywhere, you ain't got mylar bags everywhere. that got to get thrown into the into the dumpster and filling up the dumpster and everything. So it's just a couple, you know, a small little box and a you know a small little uh, can or jug, and uh, so that really, I I mean, that's a huge thing too. Mm, yeah, it sounds great. It, so how long has it been actually on the market? So we released it last actually. On Saturday, it'll be one year. One year, okay. Yeah, one year on Saturday. Yep. What's been the reaction so far, and in, in, in feedback that you're getting? Um, great reaction feedback so far. Um, most brewers that are using it, um, from a, a big bigger production standpoint for you know their flagship beers and stuff, it's really helped them out. Um, we're still collecting data to see you know how much are they saving over the year? Are they actually able to save maybe even a, an entire batch of beer? You know, or brew one less batch of beer for the year or not um from the standpoint of like one-off beers and everything and something where uh, you know you're trying to go wild and crazy brewers really love it there because they're able to you know pack a much bigger punch with obviously less you know less product overall um and then instead of having a great big double ipa or something where they lost you know 30 or 40 percent from just a troop pile you know they've still got you know hopefully a loss of 10% or less. Very cool. So, hey, we've covered a lot of ground here, state of the hop industry, some trends that are going on, hop contracts, forecasting, forecasting tips, and, and obviously all the good stuff with hop sauce. Any questions I didn't ask that, or topics that we didn't cover that maybe you want to kick around? I think it's mostly everything. I mean, the, you know, we, I think one of the unique things with hop sauce for what we have, we, you know, we, we are, we're able to offer it in um, different varieties too, you know, instead of it just being uh, your mainstay, stay hops, it's, uh, or the, you know, big sexy hops or whatever, you know, being that we're a smaller company, we can kind of customize stuff and, and do a lot of different things. And we have that freedom to be able to do that. So something that, you know, we thought about doing and everything and, and hoping that we can broaden our horizons um, going forwards and whatnot with, uh, with this product for sure. That's great. So Chris, if people want to get in touch with you, maybe they're interested in hop sauce or they want to learn a little bit more about, you know, the hop guild, what's the best way for them to do that? So easiest way would be just jumping on our website, uh, the hop guild.com um, and going to our contacts page, um, looking up um, who their regional sales manager would be. And contacting them direct that way, um, or there uh, there is a contact page on there on the contact page. They can they can write in that way too, and then uh, we can decipher through the emails and figure out who needs to get in contact with them. But there's also obviously all the information on Hop Sauce on the website, as well as other information on our company and everything. So that seems to be the best way. And then obviously uh, social media handles. We're always putting stuff on there. So excellent. That sounds great. Yeah, and I'll put. Uh, you had sent me some PDFs, some one pagers, some overviews, and I'll put those in the post as well so people can, can check them out. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for the time. A lot of good information here. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. I greatly appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers 
so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.